It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome in to a Thursday night post-trade line edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. After a few years covering trade deadlines in Phoenix, I moved back to my native New York. And this time I wasn't there in person, but I did send out some uh, cutesy tweets uh, throughout the course of the deadline. And I am joined by the, the best tweeter I know. Ah, that's an exaggeration, but he's, he's good on social media. Even better in real life. The Joshua Bass and Josh. I think suffice to say, the Nets. Uh, the Nets won the trade deadline. Yeah, blockbusters all around. I mean, I mean, can I just, sure. can I just yeah. point out to the listeners that Gavin's probably finest moment as a reporter came one year ago on the trade deadline of 2017, when uh, I think PJ Tucker was a hot topic of whether he was going to be traded from the Phoenix Suns, and Gavin reported that uh, at exactly 4 a.m. he was covering practice at that time. <laughs> Devin Booker said to PJ Tucker, uh, "Looks like you're staying." And then two minutes later, it was announced that he was going to Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it was good comic timing. And, and the year before that, I like just happened to get a picture. It was like Isaiah Thomas was like walking out of U.S. Airways, and I just like got a picture of him, and he had like three bags with him that were uh, basically bigger than he was, and that proved uh, oddly uh, present because he's been traded twice since then. And uh, who who knows where he's uh, gonna head post Lakers or if they'll keep him? That that to me that that's like one of the like I. It, like all the steps are like clear and obvious and there's nothing like that weird. It was like a, seems like an extremely poorly handled medical situation, but it's, it's incredible that this guy um, in, in the prime of his career went from an MVP candidate a year ago and having arguably one of like the like 10 or so best offensive seasons for a point guard in NBA history to a throw in basically, or like a, like a, a cat, essentially just like a, a empty salary in, in a trade for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. Like that, that's like, that's astounding to me. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't compare to the uh, plight of Darren Williams. No, but uh, but what does? Uh, anyways, let's. Uh, we we're trying to keep this one uh, short and sweet, so let's get into it. Uh, the Nets acquiring uh, Dante Cunningham uh, for uh, Rashad Vaughn. Uh, Rashad, we ha- we hardly knew ye, and now I, I feel kind of guilty. I made you go on like a whole like defense of him uh, last pot around, and uh, and now he's now he's out of our lives forever. Yeah, I published a thesis saying uh, the defense of Rashad Vaughn. Is it, Rash- is it Rashad or Rashard? I, I and we keep, keep, we keep having that. this debate. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I think it's Rashad. Yeah, you're right. Ahmad, but anyway, Ahmad Dante Rashad. Cunningham. Yeah. Are we excited or what? Get pumped. Can you, I, I mean, maybe maybe you did some research so you might know this, but how, how long would you guess he's been in the NBA? Ten years. Yeah, pretty close. He's, this is his ninth season. Or, yeah, no, or maybe it is his tenth season. This is his ninth season, I believe. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That's wild. Yeah, but I would have guessed, like, before looking it up, I would have guessed this is, like, his third or fourth year in the league. Like, it feels like – because I remember him being in, like – I'm pretty sure I went to Villanova, and, like, I remember yeah. being in college. Like, it feels, like, fairly recently, but maybe he was – was he on that team with, like, Lowry and, like, Alan Ray, or maybe he was, like, the year after? He might have been on the Scotty Reynolds team. when those guys yeah. were – when Alan Ray and Randy Foy were seniors and Kyle Lowry was uh, either – 
freshman or sophomore that declared for the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had one other big guy who was good. And they had uh, Scotty Reynolds on that team. Wow. Okay. They Cunningham and the same. They might be the same year. Those guys. Yeah, no, that's possible. Uh, yeah, no, that yeah. was that was a great team, and somehow produced three NBA guys, and one of whom, oh, actually, Alan Ray only had a cup of tea in the league. Isn't that, I think he, Alan Randy Ray was Foy on. Also. He was on the Celtics right before Ray Allen was on the Celtics. What's up? And Randy Foy also. He was the seventh overall oh, pick. Yeah, he was actually good. Yeah. All right. Anyways, uh, enough uh, side talk. We got Dante Cunningham, who's had a fairly undistinguished nine season in the NBA, but he's. He's, he's been a survivor for the uh, length of it, kind of an inside-outside big before that was fashionable, but didn't really start shooting threes until the last couple of seasons and, and kind of developed to the point where he was hitting uh, 39% of his trays uh, throughout last year, uh, down to 32% this year, so not quite as good. But, uh, Josh, you said this to me earlier, and I agreed with you. I, I, I think he's Quincy AC with maybe a little bit more aggressiveness going to the rim and obviously nine seasons into his career I think about 30 years old like you wonder how much is left because usually guys like that that are fringe NBA guys once the athletic ability drops even an inch like they're on their way out of the league but I I don't know if he can if he can figure out the shooting form he had last year in a more wide open offense than he has been playing in um, maybe maybe he is an upgrade over AC. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as you mentioned, he has a bit more driving ability. He's not as turnover-prone as AC. Um, that's really been a big problem with him. But Cunningham's turnover rate has been excellent throughout his career. Obviously a low-usage player, but he's pretty versatile on the defensive end. I, I remember him playing a lot of the four uh, with New Orleans last year. can also play some three. He's kind of that combo defensive mold, like a Luke Richard and Bob Mute. Pretty good athleticism, good size. Uh, moves well laterally, so not definitely not someone that's going to get a lot of steals and blocks, but definitely a solid positional defender. And then it's about offensively. If he can hit threes, then he'll be a, a good player for the Nets. But it's whether that's going to come. And I don't think he's going to be a knockdown three point shooter. I don't think I don't think he's going to get up to that thirty nine percent that he had last year because that form is is unquestionably good, and I don't think he's at that level. Uh, but can he shoot better than thirty three percent on threes on? but they're all wide open attempts that AC does. I think he can uh, probably surpass that. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you. And it's kind of interesting because AC was like kind of shooting the same way he was last year, then experienced that same kind of drop off this season. And I'm wondering, and it seems like, I, again, like I, I, like we've, we've had this debate a million times on the podcast. I, it, it's pretty clear that like Kenny Atkinson uh, loves playing Quincy AC and like I think that's less of a product of him actually loving Quincy AC and more loving having uh someone who could be confused with it with a stretch four in there and obviously AC has his moments but if Cunningham's even like a slight upgrade over that I really think that could kind of be one of the margins that the Nets um improve on uh and I think and and it was clear that they needed the extra body because uh if that Pistons game showed us anything uh, the Nets, when it comes to big guys, are extremely shorthanded uh, right now. They fell 115 to 106 uh, last night in Detroit. Uh, they gave up 27 rebounds to Andre Drummond, though he did shoot 5 of 17 from the field, and just about every time he missed, he got his own offensive rebound, sometimes two times in a row. So that was that was a big part of it. But, I, I mean, at least to me, like when the Nets had like really undersized lineups in there and they had Blake Griffin uh, – bullying uh, either Joe Harris or Spencer Dinwiddie on switches. It was pretty clear that they needed another big guy. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily characterize Cunningham as a big guy, but he can definitely fill that Damari Carroll, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Quincy AC mold. And listen, Rashad Vaughn was not going to play on this team. No, despite the fact that uh, we both agree he's destined for greatness. He uh, he didn't really have a defense. His, his uh, basketball reference nickname is Mr. Showtime. Is it really? Yeah. That feels I love these great uh, obscure b-ball reference nicknames. Yeah, no, it, feel, it feels a little generous, but... Uh, yeah, no, they are really good, and it's amazing that everyone has one. All right, yeah, so the Nets uh, fall to the Pistons uh, 115 to 106. And kind of, uh, again, like I'm saying, I feel like I've been saying this throughout, like they're losing stretch. It's eight of the last nine now, I believe. Um, I'm, I was just surprised by, like, uh, the Nets' uh, poor play in this one because I, I thought they'd really come out with a lot of fire. And, like, it could be it, – it almost definitely is a product of uh, being shorthanded and losing – and incredibly, incredibly emotional, strong, but losing a, a game that they played their hearts out in against the Rockets the night before. And then they come out in this one and they kind of carry that over. The ball movement was extremely sharp, both at the beginning of the first quarter and at the end of the second and at points in the fourth. But there were just these long stretches where the Nets couldn't get anything going on offense. And it was so frustrating to see because when, when they're looking good and, and they're moving the ball exceptionally well, they really do look almost like, I know we made the comparisons to the Rockets in terms of shot selection the other day, but they do kind of look like the Spurs uh, the Spurs East. And you, and you see Sean Marks' impact on the team because they, they occasionally, like especially like more and more as the season goes on, and, and you're getting more minutes with guys like uh, Dinwiddie and Harris and uh, Allen together on the floor, you, you see like these beautiful little passing sequences. And it, it, really, is, it really warms my heart because you, you can tell it's reflective of like this team kind of coming together and guys figuring out um, what each other like on offense. And that combined with Kenny Atkinson's message of selflessness sinking in, and it leads to these beautiful possessions. But it's it's equally frustrating as it is beautiful because every time you get a stretch like that, then you get six plays in a row where uh, Alan Crabb misses two threes and uh, D'Angelo Russell misses a runner, and like and you just don't have that beautiful basketball. Yeah, I mean, when it, it works, it looks great. But at the same time, the game came down not to miss shots, but to turnovers. The Nets turned over 19 times, and the Pistons turned it over seven. I mean, looking at the Nets' stat line, they uh, had eight offensive rebounds, only allowed eight offensive rebounds. So net neutral there, uh, even going up against a much more physically imposing team. Uh, creative variance, as we always like to say, with 51 three-pointers attempted. But when you turn them over 19 times and you're not getting up enough shots— then you're going to struggle. I mean, it's it's pretty much simple math. And there is so much player movement and ball movement in Ken Atkinson's system that the passes need to be picture perfect. Everything needs to be on point or else we're going to see a lot of turnovers. And uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get into the turnover talk. But first, I uh, wanted to mention, in case you missed it, uh, our, our king, if you will, uh, David Locke, Utah Jazz, play-by-play guy um, on his podcast and our uh, main NBA podcast at the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, had local guests uh, from uh, the teams that made the biggest moves um, this deadline, and uh, he had them all come on and talk for a couple of minutes about the impact on their team, on the impact on the other team of the moves, and I just, at least in a podcast format, you're not going to get better knowledge anywhere else because you're essentially having 
local beat writers pop on time after time after time. So you essentially get a full trade deadline primer from the people who know those teams the best. Uh, I wouldn't go anywhere else to get my information. I, I know I tuned into it as soon as it popped up. So uh, check out Locked On NBA, throw that a subscription, or at the very least, listen to the trade deadline episode. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, Josh, what was what was really frustrating too is like, like the turnovers came at really key moments in the game like to start the fourth quarter like the Nets were essentially like right in this one they were only down by six and then and they just made a big run in the third and you kind of felt that the Nets had seized momentum and if they hit a few more threes they could potentially bury the Pistons and instead the total opposite happened and they just threw the ball away twice Uh, Ish Smith who I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on I think it's just like for his like size and weight is just a freak freak athlete which you need to be to play in the NBA at his size and weight, he, he made two really nice plays on the ball. Stanley Johnson, I think, had a run out too. And, and just like that, it was like a 10-point game. And then they had to kind of rely on, and this this is a shocker for anyone who listens to the podcast, uh, the heroics of Alan Crabb to get them back into it, who had perhaps the best game of his career, scoring 16 points in a row in the fourth quarter. I, I didn't know he had it in him, but he was absolutely incredible. And, and despite uh, the medley of turnovers and uh, the, everyone outside of the starters not really being able to produce anything, um, he uh, he kept them in this one. Yeah, Crab was a uh, great. Obviously, six of fourteen on threes is great, but his floater game was really nice, and that kind of was a a good compliment when the Pistons closed out on his outside shooting. Yeah, and as far as Ish Smith goes, yeah, um, I think he does one thing that's absolutely excellent. He always keeps his dribble alive. He always does, um, and he's so quick that that really helps him get more scoring and assist opportunities that wouldn't have been there for another point guard because they would have given up their dribble already. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's a good call, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I think you just uh, you, you did a nice job summing it up. He, he really does get wherever he wants on the court, and again, it's because he doesn't really give up on plays, and that's almost kind of reminiscent. I, I think that was like a significant portion of what made Steve Nash so good, and it's, it, it's something that uh, you wonder if it could be applicable to the Nets point guards. I know uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's already pretty good at it, but maybe uh, D'Angelo Russell, who, who has his moments doing stuff like that where he – he just keeps going towards the basket when, when defenders think he's going to pass. But if he could keep moving in that direction, maybe he rediscovers his efficiency. But uh, a couple more thoughts on Crab. He started off like pretty cold this game. He was just 2 of 8 from 3 and then made uh, 4 of his final 6. And, and, and the big thing I noticed, Josh, and like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how much salt you put into this or if it like really stood out to you, but it was, like, it was pretty clear to me. It, it almost seemed like he like slightly changed his form and like and that's not a shocker with Alan Crabb because I feel like the reason for his inconsistent shooting this year more than anything else is like from game to game and, and even more so than that from possession to possession he's kind of trying to find his shot and trying to figure it out and almost going with what feels good on a night-to-night basis instead of being more like Joe Harris who just shoots the exact same way time after time after time and if, if you listen to like any great shooter ever like I know particularly Ray Allen was a big time preacher this like consistency is, is what makes a great shooter and in, in this game I think Crab found uh, the type of shot he, he should strive to shoot 
night in and night out. He, he really kind of removed his guide hand from the process or made it way less part of the process. And because of that, he had a much quicker release, didn't have to jump as high, and his follow-through was just smooth. It was just incredibly smooth. And it, his shot looked way more compact than it has in recent weeks. So that really excited me, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is the start of him finding his shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that he's a confidence player. So when he's getting easy runouts on the break and uh, and getting layups and his and his uh, mid-range game is falling, that's going to extend his three-point shot, and he's going to feel a lot more confident when he takes those. Yeah, and I wonder, it's kind of interesting because it's it's the... It's kind of a chicken or or the egg dilemma. What comes first, the confidence or the form, the form or the confidence? And um, if that's something the Nets assistant coaches can really drive into him on tape, when you shoot like this and you're shooting free and you're shooting confident, it means your guide hand is out of it and you're just kind of flicking the basketball. And that is really, really good. And, and to your point about him going to the rim, I actually looked it up because I was impressed with what he was doing in the game. And he's shooting 68% in the restricted area. And, and I think that's obviously... Not a great athlete, but all season he's shown pretty solid touch around the bucket, and obviously his size is, is his biggest asset in that area of the court. So I'd like to see the Nets continue to draw up uh, more plays for him, kind of coming off screens and leveraging the fact that he's being covered so tightly on the perimeter. Uh, I want to uh, wrap up this breakdown of the Pistons game. But first, I want to uh, quickly remind everyone to leave a rating or review. I was actually really pleasantly surprised because I actually checked the other day, Josh, and we have like about 140 ratings. I might be grossly exaggerating that, but that's the number I remember in my mind on iTunes. And, and they're mostly really, really high. I think we're about uh, four and a half stars, but we only have like six or seven reviews. And like maybe if you don't want to like take the time to go on iTunes or you feel more comfortable on Twitter, obviously it helps us if you do it on iTunes. So that's my preference. But we, we always love to get feedback on the pod and like stuff that we can be doing better and like we're aware of some of our flaws and some of the ways we can improve. But I, I'd love to hear it from you guys. So just hit us up on Twitter at LockedOnNets. Believe the uh, DMs are open there or personal Twitter at Gavin Shaw to uh, tweet at or message me some feedback on the podcast. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, uh, closing thoughts on this Pistons game. Uh, Josh, was there was there anything else? Uh, obviously, we just kind of talked about the uh, ridiculous size of Drummond and the shooting of Crab. What is there anything else that stood out to you in this one? Yeah, just a quick follow up on Crab. I I couldn't believe that his uh his restricted area field goal percentage was so high, and then I saw that he's only taking eight percent of his shots at the rim. Yeah, that helps. Eight percent. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, but final thoughts. I thought Jared Allen had a really nice game. Uh, started off slow with finishing around the rim, but really picked up uh, at the end of the game. And also six assists. He's really learning how to make the right read in the pick and roll. Uh, there was actually one play, I believe it was in the Houston game, where he would have had a dunk, but he actually turned to the corner and passed out for a three. Luckily, I think it was uh, either Joe Harris or Stauskas that ended up hitting it. But uh, yeah, he's become a very willing passer. And I think he has that coordination uh, and vision to make those reads, and that's a good thing to see because that really takes a pick and roll center to the next level. Yeah, and I think that I, I 100% agree with that. And I think more than anything else, that's a sign of the game slowing down for him. Like, obviously, like, I mean, anyone can have a hot shooting stretch. Most people don't have 26 of 27 shots 
go in at any point in their NBA career. So that was a pretty good indicator. But the fact that he's making like those passes on the run and he was, he was, you could tell he was looking earlier in the year, which I really, really was uh, quite thrilled to see. But now he, he's, the recognition is, is so much quicker than it was earlier in the season. And because of that, those passes that would just kind of lead to guys having a chance to drive in the past are now leading to open threes. And you see the beneficiaries are, are Crab, who obviously shot incredibly well, Joe Harris, who benefited from both that, and the fact that uh, Dinwiddie and Russell were really on their game in terms of uh, moving the basketball. Dinwiddie went 3 of 8 from three-point range, and I remember a couple of them distinctly were on kickouts from Jared Allen. So I, I was extremely encouraged to see that. Uh, it was cool to see just uh, like everyone in the starting lineup stepping up, like obviously Dinwiddie and Carroll didn't shoot that well, but they, they kind of filled in in other ways. Uh, Carroll, 12 rebounds, four assists. Uh, Dinwiddie, 11 assists, four rebounds. Obviously, we mentioned Harris, 7 of 13, 4 of 8, 18 points. And, and then I, I guess I guess the final point as we, we wrap this one up is uh, D'Angelo Russell uh, continued to not shoot the ball really well. And it, it's really, it's it's a weird situation for me because I'm, I'm so hesitant to be, critical of him because he really is playing the way like I want him to play and, and turning into slightly more of a pass first guard. But when he's in with those second units, and particularly when you don't have a Karis Levert, you don't have a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and maybe he'll be helped getting to play more minutes with Dinwiddie and Levert when everyone's healthy. But right now, I like I think he needs to kind of tone up the aggressiveness a little bit, at least in terms of going to the basket, just because there aren't that many other scoring options in the second unit. Like Mozgov got in this game. Webb played 15 minutes. Stauskas couldn't hit a thing. So I, I'd like to see him maybe attack a little bit more. I feel like each game he kind of goes in determining, oh, this is going to be a pass game or this is going to be a shoot first game. And I think he's not really letting, or not really reading the game as it comes along. And I think he needs to do a better job of that. And as you mentioned, especially when he's his teammates out there are guys like Mozgov or, or James Webb the third? Maybe take on a little bit more of a scoring role and see if you can get going and and get your own and hopefully the team will feed off that. Yeah, actually, and actually also to, f- to finish up, Blake yeah, Griffin sure. was excellent at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, he was so good, and I was like, you I forget I, how strong he is. Yeah, 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 and that's well in college, like that was like it was like that combination of like his brute strength and his like sky tie athletic ability that was just totally deadly and that that was the reason like he was i think one of the one of the few rookies if you if you want to consider him a rookie in that season because he had a ben simmons situation like the last like 20 or so years to make an all-star game his first season uh what was i gonna say yeah no i, I was i was impressed too and like it, it was so funny because i was watching most of that game like and i like you know josh like i'm uh i'm an ou fan like um i love blake griffin to the death but i was watching that whole game thinking like oh no like the pistons kind of and and then this is probably still true like doom themselves to like another like amari stoudemire situation because the athletic ability maybe i we just caught him on an off night but it just doesn't look like it's there like he's playing like almost completely below the rim and 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 then you see at the end of the game like that spark of greatness and basketball brilliance that because of all of his injuries has been so unfortunately fleeting throughout his career, but we've seen it for stretches. We saw in that Spurs series a few years ago, this guy like has greatness within him. And I mean, I hesitate to say dominating like an undermanned Nets team in uh, the the middle of February represents that, but, but that spark is still there. And that, that gives me a little bit of hope both for him personally and the Pistons. So it was, it was cool to see. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the athleticism that he used to where he was jumping over the hood of a car, but he's still extremely strong, and his handle is excellent. So when you combine those two things, he's going to be a huge matchup problem for most other power forwards in this league. And is he going to be worth the contract the Clippers signed him to in the offseason? 
very unlikely, but he's still going to be a very high level player for for the Pistons. The the sequence he had with like three minutes left where him and Jared Allen were one on one, and the first time he drove by him, then the second time he like he looked like he was kind of hurt, but he had that like it, it really like was very similar to James Harden, like where he went like between the legs like three or four different times, stepped back behind the arc and just drained a three. Like it, it looked exactly like Harden the previous night, and again like that that kind of skill ball at his size is just like it's it's almost like borderline unnatural and like really freakishly scary. So um, it's gonna be interesting to see like as as his career kind of goes into like the twilight years and he still has a year or two before that, like how far he can uh, push his game in those directions. And and then the other thing to your point, like just how smart he was about like generating switches. Like he was just doing like little like give and goes with Ish Smith. And because of that, he kept getting matched up on Ginwitty or like Carroll in like favorable situations. And that that's really what made him unstoppable was his brain just as much as his brawn. All right. Uh, with that, I want to wrap up this edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. Uh, Josh, thanks for doing it with me so late at night. Uh, we will likely be back. Uh, we, we like to record those Saturday morning pods, so expect it uh, sometime around then. Until then, hope everyone is well. Uh, again, f- love for you to tweet at us uh, with thoughts on Dante Cunningham and uh, any, anything else Nets related. Until then, be well. Peace out. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.